Good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, I, I always hate it, like when Jed makes a really great joke and nobody else laughs but me. Um, that, you know, I mean, when he said we, we face a billion choices and, and some of them are, are harder than where to go to eat, evidently the rest of you have never had that conversation in your family, like, where should we go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Well, I don't care. What do you feel like? And then on and on we go. And I have gotten to the point now where I just pull into a parking lot and I, I, you know, I, I, I put it in park and like, I'm not going anywhere. Because if, if your family is anything like mine, then we get in the car and we're actually driving while we're trying to have this conversation. And then by the time we figure out where we want to go, it's like three miles back, right? So good morning, church. I... I hope that you're well this morning. I was reading this last week, and uh, I was reading about a, a bride and her groom, and uh, the church was all decked out, you know, like you had been planning a wedding for a long time. You've been to these weddings, and, uh, and every decoration was in order. The flowers were just perfect. Everything was going according to her plan. Everything, all, all, the, all the flowers, all of the, the you know, the, the, the outfits. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, gentlemen, but when there is a wedding and there is a bride, she knows what colors, all right? Uh, she knows what colors. She, every, all the colors were just as she wanted. Months of preparation, everything was going well, and, and finally, it was the day before the wedding, everything was great, and she just wanted to sit, she wanted to relax, she was, she was excited for the next day, and her groom came to visit her. It was a planned kind of meeting, you know, honey, we love you, this is what it was supposed to be, honey, we love you, it's going to be great, I'm ready for tomorrow, ready to spend my, the rest of my life with you, and he, he comes into the room and she notices that something is wrong. He's kind of pale, he's shaking a little bit, this was terrible, not like him, she sits him down in the church sanctuary, much like this one, sits him down in the, in the in the front pew, what's going on? And he's stammering and stuttering and he can't quite get his words. And finally, he manners to, he manages to stammer and stutter out. I, I, I just, I can't, I can't do it. I, I, I can't go through it. And she seems unfazed. She says, okay. And he's thinking, this is going really well. <laughs> she says, to save face, I'll not show up. You come. You come with your best man. You come in your tuxedo. The whole church will be ready, but I won't come. And he's thinking, this is great. So the next day comes, and everybody gets ready. And he's standing at the, the front of the church with, with his, all of his groomsmen and his best man and the tuxedo, and everything is, is awesome. And it comes to that time, the wedding march begins to play. And the doors of the back of the church, they open up. 
And everybody, you know what happens, everybody stands. And he looks and his heart stops because there she is. She is on her dad's arm walking down the aisle as if nothing has happened at all. They got married that day. (laughs) She outwitted him even though he had cold feet. The story we visit this morning is about another man who ends up having feet that are cold. It doesn't necessarily mean that he was about ready to get married and he didn't want to go through with it, but it literally means that he, he got cold feet. We're going to see this morning that, that God, in his massive plan for people, often brings us from a place of emptiness to a place of being full, a place of dissatisfaction to a place of satisfaction. And this morning it actually happens uh, through a man who eventually has cold feet. And he has cold feet through a, a series of circumstances where two widows will find out that sometimes they can play the right notes to bring about the right conclusion. You see, we've been in this series now in Ruth, uh, in in the book of Ruth in the Bible. We've been in this series, Bitter to Better, now for a number of weeks. And and we have just been saying, hey, sometimes in our life, uh, we are bitter. Sometimes there's a circumstance or a piece of suffering or a situation that hurts us deeply. And we we can just live there. We can kind of be in the doldrums. We can, uh, we can just kind of walk through life looking at God, wondering what happened. Uh, we can look at God and say, this isn't fair. I shouldn't have to be dealing with this. And, and we've said as a church, hey, if we want to help people uh, find and follow Jesus, uh, then we have to be able to help them from a path from bitter to better. And, and we have walked through Ruth, and Ruth has helped us understand what oftentimes God does in helping us find that pathway from being bitter to being better. And this morning, he, he helps us find a pathway from being empty to being full, from being unsatisfied to being satisfied. And there's a couple of characters that we have walked with or, through this whole journey the first of which is a, is a widow woman named Naomi. The second is another widow. She's younger. She is Naomi's daughter-in-law, and her name is Ruth. And they have lost their husbands. Ruth is a Moabite. Now they've come back. They're in the land of Bethlehem. And last week we looked and we, we recognized that, that God often looks over the overlooked. And oftentimes when we turn up, you might just find that God has an as-it-turns-out kind of moment. We found last week that that Ruth just kind of turns up uh, into a field that happens to belong to someone who is a kinsman redeemer, a guardian redeemer to the whole family of Elimelech, uh, which is the very very clan, the very tribe uh, that these two women, that's their tribe. 
And he, she happens to go. He provides for them richly. And she comes back with 30 pounds of grain. And for the first time in the book, for the first time in the book, Naomi begins to cheer up. Naomi begins to look and recognize that, hey, maybe everything's not as bad as it seems. And so we pick up that story from there. Naomi's actually having a good day. And at the end of the barley harvest, she's got this phenomenal idea, and it involves cold feet. So if you're interested in that, why don't you join me in the Bible this morning? If you don't have a Bible, you can reach out and grab one in the pew back in front of you. We're going to be in the the book of Ruth this morning. Ruth is in the Old Testament. It's toward the beginning. Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. And we're going to be in the third chapter. Joshua, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. Ruth chapter 3. We find right off the bat that oftentimes God's blessing leads to more blessing. That oftentimes God's mercy leads to more mercy. When we recognize God's grace living and breathing and transforming us, uh, we feel a freedom to try and give that grace. We find a freedom to give that mercy to other people. And this is exactly where Naomi finds herself. For the first time in the whole book, she's finally said, hey, uh, there's provision from God. God is doing something. She's recognizing that word we talked about a couple weeks ago, hesed right? God's loving kindness, His goodness, His mercy, uh, the things that God does that sometimes we can't explain. She recognizes it for the first time. And because she does, uh, she's looking outside of herself for the first time. She's recognizing God's given this to me. I want to give something to somebody else. And she looks around and recognizes, maybe for the first time, she looks outside of herself, outside of her bitterness, outside of her circumstances, and she looks at Ruth like, oh, I need to help her. She's helped me. Ruth is this Moabite woman. She's in a foreign land, she's barren, she's poor. And Naomi, for the first time, looks outside of herself and says, oh man, I've received a blessing from the Lord. Maybe maybe I need to come up with something for her. Recognize what God is saying. Chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. I have to provide a home for you where you're going to be well provided for. Naomi is thinking, I need to find a place so that you can have security. It's not fair that you're just going to hang out with me the rest of your life. Remember, uh, Ruth has said early on in this wonderful book that we've been going through, she's made this commitment to Naomi. I'm going to be with you. It doesn't matter where you go. Your God is going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. And I will be with you until you die. I'm going to be buried right next to you. And she says, for the first time that no no I need to provide something else for you 
You see, uh, generally speaking, marriages, how they would work is you would either have a brother or a father, and they would arrange a marriage for you. Well, guess what? Ruth doesn't have either one of those. She doesn't have a brother there. She's a foreigner. She doesn't have a, 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 a father there. She's a foreigner. And she doesn't have any bargaining chips. Sometimes you could come up with a dowry that was large enough to say, hey, why don't you take this foreign woman? But she has nothing. She's in poverty. And so Naomi is trying to figure out a way uh, that she can get Ruth in a good spot. Blessing leads to blessing. Verse 2, now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Now tonight, he's going to be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. I want you to do a couple things for me. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Here's what's happening. It's harvest time. It's at the end of harvest. It's about seven week long period. And and they're down on the threshing floor, which means that when you have piled all the grain, right? You have all the grain. It's still on the stalk. Oftentimes, you you would have animals walk over the grain and then you would throw that grain up in the air, right? Uh, To catch the breeze, all the shaft right? It would, it would go off all the, the stalks and everything. The grain would fall down and you would have your grain, okay? And you would have piles of it. Why is Boaz going to be on the threshing floor? If you have a whole bunch of piles of grain laying out there, you don't want anybody to steal all the really hard work that you've done. Amen, right? You've got all these piles of grain, and so he's going to be there just basically to make sure that nothing's going to happen to all the grain. And Naomi kind of hatches this idea in the back of her mind. Hey, there's this guy, and he's our family, and, and, and maybe things will work out. He seemed to be kind to you so far. Um, maybe it'll all work out in the end. Now, some people think that this is just a big romance story, that this is like uh, the bachelorette or something, right, in in ancient Israel. Or this is like, um, uh, you know, desperate housewives or something, right? No, no, this this isn't that sort of hatched plan, right? She's trying to secure Ruth's future. She's trying to look to her. This isn't some crazy romance story. Okay, no, no, no. This goes far deeper than a romance story. But she says, hey, in order for this to work, what I want you to do is I want you to go take a bath. You stink, okay? You've been working for the last seven weeks out in the field, and I want you to put on some nice perfume. I want you to get all dolled up, and and I want you to do it at the right time. The timing here is key, right? I mean, essentially what Naomi is saying is, 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 Ruth, there's a good time to ask a man for something that you want from him, and it doesn't come in the middle of a ball game, okay? Okay, I really expected there would be a little bit more laughter there. Maybe it's just too true. Maybe that's the problem, right? 
Is the best time to ask a guy when he's right in the middle of a ball game something really serious? No. She says, hey, make sure uh, that he's, he's, he's glad that he has had a good harvest. Uh, remember, there's been a famine in the land. He's, he's feeling pretty good about the work that he's done. All right? Uh, make sure that his stomach is full. And I want you to mark where he lies down. I want you to see all of that, and then I want you to go. And then there's this really crazy thing. She says, I want you to uncover his feet. Now, what in the world? Why uncover his feet? Why create a situation where this guy has cold feet? Well, there was a couple of things in Israel that you need to know as we move through this story. There were two really, really important things for any Jew, for any family in Israel that, that are so key if we're going to understand what comes next. The first was this. There was a, 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 a Levite, a Leverite kind of law, okay? And it was that if, if, a, if a, a woman had a husband that died, right? And she became a widow. It was... It was her, her deceased husband's brother's job, okay? Her brother-in-law's job. It was his job. It was, it was really uh, this, this family heirloom sort of thing to keep on the family line. It was his job, right, to try and make sure that she had a son. So he would... I know this is kind of weird, okay? So... He would be intimate with his brother's wife in order to try and keep the family line moving, in order to make sure that the family line did not die off. This was huge for Israel. This was huge. And Ruth recognizes what's going on, right? It was really important to keep the family line moving. I was trying to figure out how we could come close to understanding this. And have you ever known a family that has to have like a strange name in their family? You know, like every, every middle name has to be the same and it's, it's something like Frudenthal or something, right? There's, there's a member of our church that this is true of. Some of you know Bryce McFarland. Bryce's middle name is Hiram, right? One of his son's middle name is Hiram. This is important, right? This was about keeping the family name. This is about making sure that it passes uh, from one generation to the next generation to the next generation, it wasn't just about a name. It wasn't just about another son. It was about their identity. And ultimately, it was about their freedom. This was one of the laws that's really important. The second was this idea of a kinsman redeemer, of a guardian redeemer. The idea of a guardian redeemer was that you would have the land. Not only would you have the family line, but you would have the land. Land was really, really important. 
When God gave the covenant, right? When he made this relationship with Israel, he said, one of the promises that I'm going to give to you is I'm going to make sure that you have land. And when we go to Deuteronomy and we see the second reading of the laws, the people are ready to go into the new land. I mean, he is basically saying, hey, I am giving you the land. I'm going to make sure to plant you in places. You're going to have vineyards you didn't plant. You're going to have cities you didn't build. I am giving you a great land. And so if there was a time in a family's life where they were falling on hard times, And if you had to sell off your land, right, you would look to a kinsman redeemer. You would look to a guardian redeemer to redeem the land back to keep it in the family so that eventually it might actually stay in the family. You didn't want an outsider to have the land because then it wouldn't be part of the the family and it wouldn't be part of what the larger scope of what Israel was doing, right? It wouldn't be part of God's ultimate promise. So So you had to keep the family line, and you had to keep the land in the family. It's huge, okay? Now, I want you to notice that Naomi says to Ruth, now, I want you to go and do this. I want you to uncover his feet. I want you to go to the threshing floor, and she says, and then don't say anything else, essentially. I want you to listen to what he says. He'll tell you what to do. Have you ever noticed that throughout this book, as we have walked through it, that Ruth doesn't always do things according to plan? Notice what happens. She says in verse 5, I will do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. And Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and laid down. Oh, enter into this story with me, would you? Can you imagine? Here you are, this single woman. You're a foreigner. Uh, The threshing floor wasn't exactly the sort of place that you would send your daughter. And here's Naomi sending Ruth into the threshing floor thinking maybe this might work. Uh, I mean, what is she doing, right? She's like a cat burglar, right? except she's not trying to steal anything except this man. I have to go and I have to uncover his feet. Can you imagine? I just tried to imagine uh, myself trying trying to think about going and doing this. I've camped a a lot, right? I mean, can you imagine trying to camp, come into somebody's tent and then, you know, I don't know, unzip their their sleeping bag or something? This is crazy. You got shallow breath. Okay, okay. I hope he's not a light sleeper, you know? right? And, and then I'm going to do something, and I sure hope he doesn't wake up. I, I hope this turns out, right? Her, her, her heart rate's probably hit the roof. Her anxiety, uh, I mean, she's probably a uh, red face. She, she, you know, all of this is happening right in front of us, right in the story. What's going to happen? Come on, now, you you guys got to enjoy this story. There's tension here. What's going to happen? Don't you think it's a little odd? I mean, this sort of thing doesn't happen. I've already told you that generally speaking, right, if there was a marriage arrangement, it came from the father. Essentially, what Ruth is doing by uncovering his feet is giving a pronouncement of marriage. Hey, would you marry me? That's what she's saying. Would you put a ring on my finger? And she is a foreigner, And she is a woman, 
and she is barren. This is backwards. It's absolutely unusual. Notice, notice Boaz's response. Verse 8, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. I'd say so. And he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. (laughs) Picture this for me. Now, I got to be honest with you. Sometimes I have like these really strange dreams where I think like somebody's in the room. I mean, and I get up, I get up like ready to go, right? I mean, I fly out of bed like, ah! I mean, I just imagine here like Boaz, he's sitting here. He knows that he's there because he needs to protect the grain pile and there's this woman sitting at his feet. What are you doing here? Who are you? He asked, verse 9. I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me. Since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Spread your garment over me. Spread the corner of your garment over me. Since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. There was a place in chapter 2 where Boaz looked at Ruth and recognized that God's wing of protection had been with her. It's the same word that is used here for the corner of the garment. She is saying essentially, I am asking you to be the answer to my prayers. Now you would think that perhaps Ruth would just be okay with saying, hey, I I hope for a good secure home. I hope for a good secure life. But she has not forgotten her commitment to Naomi. She has not forgotten her commitment to God. And so here is what she asks for. In spreading the corner of the garment over him or over her, and really appealing to him as the guardian redeemer of our family, She is putting those two laws together. She is saying, I want you to act as my husband's brother. I think that she is saying, I want you to bear a child with me and continue the family line. And I want you to bring together the land that is of our tribe You see, Naomi entered into this whole thing just simply saying, I hope for a secure place. But Ruth is saying, no, we got to go beyond that. That's not good enough. She knew enough to say, no, no, there's two things that really matter here. And I want to call you, Boaz. I want to call you to do the things that you should do. I'm going to ask you to be like my, my husband's brother. Give us a child so that the family name will live on. And I want to make sure that you understand that it's your job to make sure that our land stays in the family. Can you do that? You ever get a sense like Ruth's just kind of a wild card? Naomi had said, she had said, hey, you just do whatever he says. And she comes out and she begins to say, this is what is going to happen. This is what I need you to do. In verse 10, the Lord bless you 
Boaz says, The Lord bless you, my daughter. The kindness that has said is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Oh, talk about a downer. She's gone to the threshing floor. She's uncovered his feet. She said, hey, why don't you put a ring on my finger? He's responded, you are so good. Way to go. I'll do all that you ask, except it might not be me. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. She takes the next step and says, I want you to make sure that our name is held high, that our identity is kept sure, and I want you to make sure that the land is taken care of. And Boaz responds, absolutely. You're a woman of noble character. It's going to go well. Can I tell you that if you came this morning and you came in a bitter place, if you came this morning and you came in a place where their circumstances are not in your favor, where perhaps there's suffering, where perhaps you question whether God looks over the overlooked. Can I tell you that there is another redeemer from Bethlehem who has an opportunity to change your name and give you a land that you cannot imagine? You see, there's another redeemer and his name is Jesus from Bethlehem. And Jesus was the one who said, I, I'll give you a name, I'll give you an identity that you can't believe. And I'll make you a part of a family that lasts forever. When the Bible talks about this kind of life, it talks about it from Jesus' lips as eternal life. And that life is not just when we die. It can happen right now. It's what we can have now and what we can have later. And Jesus says, I can give you eternal life. And I can give you my name. And we, we get to call ourselves by the name of Jesus. We call ourselves Christian because of Christ. And he says, you want land? I have a land that's more than rocks and dirt and mud. I'll give you a promise of a land of a new Jerusalem of heaven coming down to earth that lasts forever. And only I can redeem you in this way. And Boaz is promising, I'm going to make sure, Ruth, I'm going to make sure that you have acted in the hesed, you have acted in the loving kindness and the mercy of God, and I'm going to make sure that your name, your family name, and that your land last. As the story ends, you know what happens? He says, 
for her sake, lie here, but, but don't lay here too long. He doesn't take advantage of her in any sensual way. Sends her home. But before he does, he makes sure that she's not sent away empty. Verse 15. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her, and then he went back to town. This is, uh, scholars say, anywhere from 60 to 100 pounds of grain. It's a lot. And he pours it in, and he puts it on her, but this is the important part. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? And then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens for the man will not rest until the matter is settled. Don't go back to your your mother-in-law empty-handed. Don't go empty-handed. In chapter one of Ruth, in verse 21, Naomi, after saying, my name is now bitter, my name is Marah, because the Almighty has made my life bitter, she says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me sweet? And what is God doing? He's opened up her life to say, blessing is going to lead to more blessing. And he says this, I don't want you to go back to your mother-in-law empty. I'm going to make her full. As I walked through this this week, I began to think about the times that perhaps our life is in a bitter place. Can I suggest to you this morning that there's only one who can put your life in a full place? You're not going to fix your bitterness by trying to seek some romantic relationship. You're not going to fix your bitterness by going on vacation. You're not going to fix your bitterness by having a really good workout routine. The only way you can fix your bitterness, the only way to get on that pathway from bitter to better, is if you recognize a Redeemer who can fill you. Jesus, one time, when he was in a desert, found a well, and there was a woman there, and she had a bitter past. And she was trying to, to, you know, get water out of the well, and there was a conversation in John chapter 4 that ensues, and, and Jesus says, hey, if, if you never want to thirst again, if you want to be really satisfied, then I'm the only one that can give it to you. In John chapter 10, Jesus was confronted with many things. And in John chapter 10, talking about eternal life, he says, I'm the only one that can make you full. I can make your life abundant. He wasn't talking about riches and money. He was talking about eternal life and the abundant life that only he can bring. If you walked in this morning in a bitter place, I'm going to plead with you to plead with Jesus. 
to come around the throne of Jesus and say, Lord God, would you please put my feet on a path from bitter to better? Would you be my redeemer? Would you save my name and my land for a time that's far, far greater than right now? And would you provide for me in ways that I couldn't possibly imagine? Set my feet on a pathway from bitter to better. Maybe you came in this morning and you said, I'm empty. And can I suggest to you this morning that Jesus wants to make you full? Maybe you came in unsatisfied and Jesus wants to satisfy you. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you so much for who you are and all that you do. And I thank you for these, these, these words in your, in your word that just constantly remind us of who you are and how you operate. That Lord, you, you work in your blessings and in your love. And perhaps this morning we walked in and we were, we were Ruth and we needed something desperately. And perhaps this morning we walked in as Boaz and we have something to give. Father, for both parties. Whether those who came in empty or those who have much to give. Lord, I pray that we will give it and I pray that we will receive it. And Lord, we throw ourselves at you this morning. Be our redeemer. Be the one who can give our name eternal value. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.